what is suffering? Suffering is the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. It can be physical, it can be mental, it can be emotional. Okay, you tracking with me? Suffering can be something that you feel physically, you can be in pain, you can be ill, it can be something you experience mentally. Uh, I think about like stress, right? Anxiety, like knowing that something, that big test that's coming up and you can't get over the fact that you have to take it and you don't feel ready and that kind of stuff. It can be emotional. It can be that somebody hurt you. Have you ever had a friend hurt you? Have you ever had somebody do something to you you just deeply felt hurt by? You couldn't believe that they did it. You don't know why. You, you, that's emotional suffering. Okay. I know that you're familiar with suffering, um, and, and I want you, even though it's painful, to think about some of the suffering that, that you experience in your life. Uh, you know, these, we can take this off the screen now, but uh, these aren't huge examples, but just a couple examples of suffering in my life. And I, I want to give you two, and I want you to think about why they're different, okay? Because if I asked you, uh, do you avoid suffering or do you, or you just deal with it? Like, do you, do you do what you can to minimize suffering in your life? Most of you say yes. Yeah. You're not an idiot, right? I mean, like, if I said, hey, I'm closing my car door now and your hand was in there, would you take it out or would you just let me slam the car door in your hand? <laughs> slam the door. I think most of us would say, you know, we avoid suffering, right, when we can. Uh, but it's not always true. So, so you guys may know that I am, I, I am sight-challenged in my right eye. I'm wearing one contact right now. The reason is because when I was in college, somebody shot me in the eye with a Nerf dart, and it detached my retina, and I had to have surgery, okay? I've told that story a bunch on the stage. What I often don't talk about is what that surgery means, okay? So when you have retinal reattachment surgery, they, like, splay your eye open. I almost, I know, I almost... Just showed you pictures, but I didn't want to lose you. So uh, then they inject a bowl of nitrous oxide into your eye and use a laser to basically glue your retina back to the back of your eye. And then what they do is they take this heavy-duty rubber band and they put it around your eye. I still have it around my eye to this day. And the rubber band constricts your eye and helps your eye glue back together to the retina. And that's just like the rest of my life. I have a giant rubber band around my eye. So... Uh, that, that bubble that they put in your eye, it's not good for the front of your eye, your lens. If that bubble touches the lens, it reacts with it, and your lens becomes cloudy, and you can't see, and the whole point of the surgery is to help you see. So uh, what that means is that for one week, you have to be face down. <laughs> one week, literally, okay? So what that meant was that we rented a massage table, put it in my house, and I, for a week, sat in my living room, face down, looking through a donut, down to the ceiling, had a mirror system set up so that I could watch television, okay? <laughs> For a week, okay? I, crazy amounts of pain, not fun, okay? People would come to see me. I would, like, turn my mirror system so I could see them, say hi, you know? That was, that was the surgery. Okay, now, is that, like, you know, something that's ever happened to anybody? No, but is, that, is there some level of suffering going on? Yes. I, I would submit that there is, right? So if I could have avoided that, would I have? Like if I, if somebody, if a prophet of God showed up and said, tonight, if you play around with your college friend's Nerf dart, you're going to detach your retina, have surgery, the whole thing, I would go like, you know, I'm going to sit this one out. I would just say, I'm done. Uh, but that's not the only, the only kind of suffering that we experience. Let's think about a different kind. Uh, a few years ago, I matched with somebody uh, in a bone marrow thing, and I actually donated bone marrow. I don't know if you know what that's like. I have a picture. This is what it means to donate bone marrow. Uh, you see that big ne needle? has kind of that handle on the end of it. That handle is so that they can get enough body weight to puncture your pelvis. So they like, they like take that needle, jab it through the bone of your pelvis, suck out the goo from the inside. That's your bone marrow. Uh, and, and bone marrow is important. If you don't have bone marrow, you can't live. And somebody needed bone marrow, so I donated. And uh, the doctor told me, like, 
this is going to be painful. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this is going to be painful. Uh, no, I was not awake, thankfully, because I try to avoid suffering whenever I can. Yeah. Um, but even, even though I was awake, like, you know, for a while, I was sore. I mean, if somebody took a giant needle and jabbed it into your butt 12 times, uh, I mean, let's just be real. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, again, like not doing a lot of sitting. Yeah, not doing a lot of uh, normal activity. Like very, very painful, very sore. Is there some level of suffering there? Yes. Barely. Barely. Thank you for sympathy. Uh, So, but but here's the thing. I didn't try to avoid that suffering. I actually embraced it willingly, right? They told me I was going to suffer. They said, if you do this, you will suffer. And I said, okay. So what's the difference? Why do I try to avoid the first suffering and not the second? Yeah. Helping somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to say? Yeah, I, I suffered a little bit to keep somebody from having to suffer a lot, to keep somebody from dying even, yeah, yeah. Doing a good deed, doing something good, yep, yep. I think, I mean, all those are good answers. There was a purpose in that suffering, right? And we can take this off the screen. Uh, there was a purpose. I was, I was doing something for, for something greater. There was some reason behind it. I was willing to say, I, I will go through this suffering because I care about something else more. Right? In this case, it was because I wanted to love somebody. I wanted to sacrifice for somebody so that they could live, so that this mom could spend more years with her husband, with her kids. Right? And, uh, and, and I wanted to represent Jesus to that person. I wanted somebody to know that, that, uh, that because of Jesus, I was willing to do something for them, even though they were a stranger to me. That, that was why I was willing to do it. Uh, so sometimes suffering's not necessarily bad. I mean, suffering is always painful. It's always something to go through. But sometimes we actually willingly embrace suffering. And this is what our story is tonight. We're in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, chapter 21. And if you've been with us, you've been introduced to a man named Paul, and he does crazy things. Uh, he, he does all these things that people look at him, they're like, You're, why are you doing this? Stop doing this. Like, enough, you know? And he just says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. And we have one of these stories tonight. So let's jump into the Apostle Paul, Acts 21. If you have your Bible, you can look there with me. Uh, if you don't, then you can listen to me, okay? So Acts 21, here is the story. Paul shows up in Jerusalem, okay? Capital city, ton of people, uh, very religious people. The Jews are in Jerusalem. The temple's in Jerusalem. Paul shows up. He's, he is a Jew, but he is now talking about Jesus, and the Jews aren't super pumped about that, right? So verse, uh, sorry, chapter 21, verse 27 says this. When the seven days were nearly over, Paul's been doing the thing until now, and now he's wrapping up. Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. Some Jews, they're not super pumped about the fact that, that Paul is talking about Jesus. They see him. It says, they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greek into the temple and defiled this holy place. You might be like, what's the big deal, right? Well, if you're a Jew, you're not allowed to bring non-Jews, Greeks, into the temple. You're not allowed to be in the holy place worshiping God if, if you aren't one of God's people. And so to, to accuse somebody of doing that is to accuse somebody of defiling their whole religion. They're saying, Paul, this guy who's talking about Jesus, he's teaching against our people. He's teaching against everything we believe in. And not only that, but he's bringing these strangers into the temple. Okay, so, so help us get him. We're going to jump down to 30. Okay, The whole city aroused and the people 
came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Okay? The Jews growl. They take him. They lock him away. They're trying to kill him. Roman guards see that there's a riot going on. They come down. They try to stop it. Okay? Verse 33. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Okay, what's going on here? The Jews are trying to kill Paul. They're beating the crap out of him, okay? The Romans come in. They stop the rioting. And so how do they do that? They actually arrest Paul. So Paul, just an innocent dude, nothing wrong, is getting beaten up. The Romans come in to fix that problem. They arrest Paul. Okay? Now, the, the crowd is so violent, they're so adamant that they want to get rid of Paul that the Roman soldiers are literally having to carry him just to get him in jail to, to be safe from the crowd. Okay, this is Paul's life. And here's the thing. This is nothing new for Paul. This is happening to Paul all the time, getting beaten up, getting left for dead, people trying to kill him. And the reason is because he keeps on talking about Jesus. But, but here's the thing that's kind of unique about this story. We, we kind of talked about this earlier. There's suffering that you try to avoid and there's suffering that you embrace, which is this. Which is this. He embraces it. It's weird. In fact... You go back to the beginning of chapter 21, people told him, they said, Paul, the Holy Spirit has talked to me. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get, think bad things are going to happen. You're going to suffer. Paul says of himself, everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. He says that suffering awaits me in Jerusalem. The last place he was, there was a prophet who did this whole scene where he bound his hands and said, Paul, the Holy Spirit says, if you go to Jerusalem, your hands are going to be bound just like this. What does Paul say? Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready not only to be bound, but I'm ready to die. I'm ready to give my life in Jerusalem, and that's what it takes, because I'm going to keep on talking about Jesus. Why does Paul embrace suffering? He's got a purpose. There's something bigger behind it, right? He, he wants something greater. He's willing to go through the suffering to get it. And, and this is what I wanted to do with our whiteboard up here. This is about worldview. What does worldview mean? You guys have heard that term before, I'm sure. What is your worldview? What is somebody's worldview? What, is that, what does that word mean when somebody uses it? Yeah. Yeah, how you around you. Worldview is how you view the world, right? Super simple. So, and here's, worldview it can be, get so complicated, but I just want to boil it down super simple, okay? Every worldview, everybody has one, right? Every, every way that you, somebody views the world at its core is really a way of defining what is the ultimate good of life and what is the ultimate bad, right? What is good? What do we work for? What do we celebrate? What do we hope for, right? What do we... Uh, what do we want to achieve? What do we want our life to look like? Every word you is saying, what is the ultimate good? And I don't mean like moral good. I just mean like, what is the, the goodness of life that we try to, to get? And the bad, what is the ultimate bad in life? What do we try to avoid, right? Everybody has one of these. You do, 
your friends at school do, your parents do, I do, everyone has one. And actually, you know, we have more than one. Like sometimes uh, we, we aren't even aware of our worldview. Uh, some super common ones, I mean, let's just like start from the, from the basic. Like some people live with a, with a success and failure worldview, right? The ultimate good is success. Uh, the ultimate bad is failure. You guys know anybody at school like this? They're a straight A student, okay? You probably invite them to hang out with you and they say, I can't, I'm doing my homework. And you're like, why? You know, it's Friday. Why are you doing your homework? Like, well, I really want to get ahead. And you're like, you're dumb, you know? Uh, or maybe that's you, I'm sorry. I, but uh, that's what I said when I was in middle school, okay? But what, what's going on there? Why are they making that decision? They have a way of viewing the world. I want to be successful. I want to get the good grades, right? I, I want to have a 4.0. They might even be thinking about college and they're in middle school and you're like, we're in middle school, you're paid discount, right? And uh, don't tell your parents I said that. Uh, it's true though, it's true. Um, okay, but worldview, success is good, failure is bad. How about this? Another super popular worldview. The ultimate good, acceptance. The ultimate bad, action. You know anybody like that at school? They probably wear nice brands. They probably use the right slang. They're not like me. I don't, like they, their Instagram account looks awesome, right? Every time they make a post, it looks like they're doing something really cool, okay? They, they're popular. People like them. They want to be like them. What's going on? Everything they do is filtered through this worldview. I want to be accepted by people. I want people to like me, right? I want to be seen as somebody worth being something. I mean, I, and the ultimate bad, the thing that I avoid more than anything else is rejection. This is me, honestly. Uh, I mean, this is what I care about. I want people to like me. I hate it when somebody is mad at me, when somebody's disappointed in me, when somebody doesn't think that, you know, I, I did the right thing, said the right thing, whatever. Like, I cringe inside when your parents send me emails saying, like, did you do this, you know? Uh, this is me. Uh, if I'm not, not following Jesus, if I'm not praying and giving my life to God, this is, this is what I live for, right? Okay, let's think about, who saw Avengers? Okay. I, I, can't, I haven't seen it. Okay, so, uh, what, is, what is Thanos' worldview? What? Yeah. Uh, the ultimate good, the ultimate good is population control. The ultimate bad, overpopulation, right? Uh, yeah, willing to kill everybody just because, you know, don't want things to get too crowded. But that's how it works. So uh, here's, here's the deal. Everybody has one of these. You do too. Uh, most of our worldviews, if you're working for acceptance, if you're working for success, uh, you know, people grow up, they start, <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh, you know, they start working for money working for a career to move up the ladder. Uh, for some people, it's a relationship. You know, the ultimate good to be in a relationship, to have a boyfriend, to have a girlfriend, to get married, whatever. Like, but whatever it is, uh, this determines how you feel about your life. Right? Like if I asked you, hey, how is your life going? And you really answered me and you said, man, pretty good. I like, yeah, life's going well. You would be filtering that through some kind of worldview. Whatever you're, you're, you're working towards, you're saying, I'm getting it. You know, like I, it, if your worldview success and I say, how's life going? You're like, well, I've got a 4.0. It's pretty good, you know? Uh, if I ask you, hey, how's your life? And you go, things are hard right now. Life's because you filter that through some kind of worldview. Whatever you're working towards, you're not getting it. Like maybe your worldview is acceptance, rejection. And I say, how's life? And you're like, it's hard. And it's because one of your friends has stopped talking to you 
or that, you know, that party that you wanted to get invited to, you didn't get invited and your friends did, whatever. Like you're filtering it through some kind of worldview. Uh, how does suffering fit into most people's worldviews? It's bad. Like where, where does suffering fit in here? Well, it, it's certainly not a success to suffer. Uh, typically suffering is some kind of rejection. We're going to talk about Thanos there. Uh, the, but like whatever your life is worked towards, typically suffering, like it's bad. And so you see Paul, you see people warn him about suffering coming, and he embraces it, and it doesn't, it doesn't compute to us because our worldview typically would say that suffering is automatically a bad thing. My question is this. What is it about Paul that changes that scenario? What is Paul's worldview? What does he filter everything through so that when he has to tell him, hey, if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to face suffering. You're going to be bound. You're going to be rejected. And he's like, okay. What, what is he filtering life through? Paul would say something like this. He'd say, uh, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Right? For Paul, everything is filtered through this. Is this going to get me closer to Jesus? Am I going to honor Jesus? Am I going to represent Jesus well? Because this is, for him, is what life is. And, and the Bible teaches us this. It says that you were born, you were made to be an image of God. You, you were made to represent God, to know him, to love people like God, to be in a relationship like God made you to be, be an image. And it gives us this worldview. This is what you were made for. And what the Bible is saying is like, is look, I mean, you can try to live for a bunch of things. But the only thing that's actually how you were created, the only thing that's actually going to bring you satisfaction to make you a whole uh, human being like God made you to be is if you are, are filling your purpose. Jesus is the example of that. Jesus gives us the ability to know God and to image him. Right? Because the Bible also says that none of us image God perfectly. That's what sin is. All of us have lived in a way that doesn't glorify God, that doesn't uh, represent him to the world around us. And when Jesus invites us into family, it's, it's an invitation to be forgiven, but also to be restored. Invitation made new. It's an invitation to, to be the person that God created you to be by the power of the Holy Spirit because of Jesus. And that starts right now. God is, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's working in your life to make you more and more like the person he created you to be, to make you more and more like Jesus. The fancy Bible word for that is sanctification. This is Paul. It's like, I, this is what I care about. I care about being like Jesus talking about Jesus, representing Jesus, right? And, and what's the opposite of that? It's sin. That's what the Bible would say is the old bad. Okay, so where does suffering fit into this? Well, not all suffering is on this. I mean, you're suffering because you've been a jerk. Like, you know, if you've like lied to all your friends and they don't want to talk to you anymore, you're like, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, uh, no, that's just suffering for being a jerk. But, but if, you, if you're suffering because you're representing Jesus, all gonna, I can live with that right? If I'm killed because I'm doing what Jesus called me to do, I can live with that. And, and yeah, I know. Uh, so this is what I want you to talk about. I'm going to invite Brandon to come back up. And, uh, and, and tonight you're going to get small groups and we're going to ask you just a few questions. But here's what I want you to talk about. What's your worldview? What's the way that you see the world? What's the ultimate good that you see, what are you working for? When you have a bad day, why is it that you have a bad day? What have you not achieved? And what would it look like if you had the worldview that Paul had? So the questions, we're going to give them to you on the screen at the end, and, uh, and I hope that you guys will pray and talk about it. But that's what I got. Love being here with you. Thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, I'll see you guys in a little bit. So let's, uh, let's pray, and, and Brent will take it away. God, thanks for this group, and, and thanks for your word to us.
And Lord, I pray that you would give us the world that you want us to have. I pray that Jesus would be everything to us. I pray that, uh, that we wouldn't chase after all the different things that the world chases after, uh, but that we would be content to be the way that you made us to be. Image you, to be like Jesus, to follow him, to know you more, and whatever that entails for us, uh, would we be willing to embrace it because uh, you're worth it, God. Amen.